Welcome, everyone. We're very happy to have you tonight at the fourth Golden Beer Talks. We'd like to thank our sponsors, the Windy Saddle, for hosting us here. Thank you very much. Golden.com. We couldn't be doing it without Barb and Golden.com. Pamela Gould, our new counselor. Thank you very much. She was a big start of this. And Coors... Um, I'm going to introduce Fred Linton, who's going to speak about the Coors that got donated tonight. Thank you very much. Can you tell us a little bit about the, about the beer, Fred? So thanks for uh, uh, you know, having us here tonight. I hope everybody is enjoying the variety of beers that we brought in. Anybody got a special favorite yet? Heinies? I mean, uh, yes. In the 19? The Winterfest? Good. I had two bottles left from last year. Oh, you still drank them? Oh, hell, they were just perfect. Oh, good. <laughs> well, actually, you know, the Winterfest is just a, a very seasonal beer. It's a very small batch, and they change the recipe every year. And this year... Kim and I tasted it, and we said, hmm, this isn't quite like the Winterfest we've had in the past. It's a little bit mellower, not quite as hoppy, not quite as caramely, but it is still very good. Anyway, uh, again, thank you for inviting us to share some of our product with you. Tell us um, about Batch 19. Batch 19. All right. Batch 19 is a pre-prohibition recipe. We discovered this after, uh, sad to say, a very significant disaster at the plant that a steam line blew up on us, and so the, the deluge system sprayed down everything, and while we were cleaning up, we uh, discovered these, this old file room. No kidding. And in this old file room, we discovered all these old recipes, pre-prohibition recipes. Batch 19 is one of those pre-prohibition recipes. And it's been so successful, we've rolled it out nationwide, and it looks like it's going to be a taker. Um, we really appreciate all the other breweries that have come into Golden. Yeah, I mean, the variety of beers that we've got here... Golden City has always been one of my favorites. Um, I have yet to visit some of the others, and I will. I really enjoy tasting the competition. Anyway, um, you know, we, we have gone big time into the craft beer market, and that's because that's where the growth is. Um, actually, our portfolio... Um, we have 24% of the craft beer market now with Kugels, Blue Moon, Batch 19, things like that. It's, it's very significant for us. But it's only 9% of our portfolio. Our premium brands are uh, not doing very well because of spirits and wine and things like that. So we've got to figure out a better way to sell our premium brands like Banquet, Coors Light, all the Miller brands. Things like that. Um, so, any questions about the brands I brought here tonight? Okay, now, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I've got to caveat this. I'm the environmental engineer at the Golden Brewery. I do not brew the beer. 
I am not in the brew house. I do not know anything about the recipes. I do not know anything about the ingredients, all right? But I do know a whole lot about wastewater and water and air emissions. Anyway, thank you very much. So we have Dr. Jim Dale, a colonel in the Air Force tonight. He is, uh, he's been in this community for, for many years, and he's a huge contributor. When I first met Jim, he was talking about how to figure out how to organize people picking fruit off the fruit trees and donating it to the food banks. He was uh, 30 years in the Air Force. He's former head of Jefferson County Public Health. He is on the, soon to retire from the Planning Commission. He's on the Citizens Budget Advisory Committee. He, uh, when I, another time I met him, he organized a conference, American Public Health Association. He had a mini conference on urban agriculture. It was, a, it was a great group of speakers there. And tonight he's going to speak about the three Ds of public health. We're really lo looking forward to it. So thank you very much, Jim. Okay. All right. All right. Well, let's get truth and, and honesty in my introduction there. I was a director of environmental health, so my special friend, Dr. Mark Johnson, my former boss, I don't want to take his thunder because he's doing a lot of good things. So good evening. Hi there, neighbors. I'm your neighbor, Jim Dale. It's just great being here. And you know what I like about being here? It's because you're all being so healthy. Think about it. You're, you're socializing. You're laughing out loud and laughing often. He was worried I moved too far from the microphone. Make sure you speak deeply in the microphone. Anyhow, you're socializing. You're eating healthy foods. You're drinking beer. Now, anybody who attended a couple weeks ago, uh, times ago would know how healthy beer is, right? And so, and you're laughing out loud often. You're building community. So what better thing could you do to make Golden even healthier? Well, I like you being healthy, and I'd like to talk with you tonight about the three Ds. The three Ds. The three what? D's. Three Ds, right. And that's disease, disability, and death. Whoa, holy cow, whoa, boy. Hey, in order to talk about disease, disability, and death, you're really talking about epidemiology. And I think it's important to literally define this word from, what is it, Greek? Ology, the study of, right? Epi, upon. Demios, the people. The study upon the people. Or the study of the determinants of health and disease in populations. So we'll just kind of walk along talking about this good old epidemiology. And you know what I think I should do? I should give you a little overview of what I'm going to talk about tonight. You know, when I go on a trip, I want a road map. I hate going someplace with Luann. I don't know where in the hell I'm going. I want to know where I'm going. I need a road map. And so I think you all deserve to have a road map. So here's our overview. First, we're going to tell some stories about Golden in the area, okay? And then we're just going to jump right in to talk about what's causing disease, disability, and death. I'm raving to my fans out there, you know, they're trying to come in. And it, they came from out of country just to come to Golden Fort, see? And then... After I've talked about some of this stuff, I'll also talk about how do you interpret the media and some of the things you hear about disease, death, and disability. And then we'll look at the actual causes of disease, the 
actual cause of disease. And then last, we'll talk about what we can do about the 3Ds by talking about models. I'm going to talk about two models tonight. Henry Tiberi was wondering if I was going to tell him anything he didn't know. Well, you know, CPAs don't know much about building, but he is builder. Anyhow, so that's what we're going to do. Everybody ready? I'm going to take my time hack from now. Okay? All right. Now, let's, let's start here in Golden and walk up Clear Creek, and we'll pretend it's 1850. I'll give you a quote. You were there. I was, I was there. I was only a captain then. I was only a captain in the Air Force for about 20 years. Anyhow, here's what they said. This one immigrant. I think this country is remarkably healthy. Why, the women and the children and the mining caps all appear, thanks to the salubrious air, to be endowed with excellent health. That was in the Western Weekly in 1859. And then here's another one. Among miners... Sickness is literally unknown. Guns, 1859 handbook. And just one more. The water. Hear that? The water in the, of the creeks in the mining area region is pure, sweet, and wholesome. But just a few years later, here's what they were saying. Oh, the living conditions of the miners, they're surrounded by dirt and filth that's constantly accumulating, breeding disease, and propagating vermin. Miners have brought diseases from back home, like malaria, venereal disease, and TB. Yeah, there's malaria right here. The mosquitoes get transmitted right here. And, ready for this, mountain fever's killing the miners, and pneumonia's the bane of the camps. Oh, my. So what they told us in the, mess, in the uh, military was don't mess in your mess kit, right? And that's what those folks did. Okay, Ready? <laughs> Let's spring forward to 1918. 95 years ago this fall and winter, between sep September 1918 and June 1919, influenza and its complications, particularly pneumonia, killed 1,500 Denverites and 7,783 Colorado Y died in those eight months. And I probably could add that more died of flu in that year than died we were lost in action in World War I and II combined. You throw in Vietnam, even Korea. So, there are, you know, it, it was pretty tough. It was pretty tough. Real tough. We'll get this microphone in my mouth here, I guess. Okay. Jump forward just a couple years to 1920. What happened in 1920, sir? 1920 to 1933, something special happened. Prohibition. Oh my gosh, it wasn't good for it. It wasn't good for Golden, and it wasn't good for Coors. But we got malted milk, so what the hell? Anyhow, <laughs> you know what the problem was for us bootleggers like my Keener relatives in Kansas. They didn't do this, but there's, it was cheaper to make wood alcohol, methyl alcohol, than it was to make ethyl alcohol. So they were dumping in methyl alcohol into the bathtub gin. By 1927, that's seven years after the beginning of Prohibition, when things were going to be great and God was on everybody's side from that Prohibition thing, deaths from wood alcohol exceeded 50,000. 
in the United States to say nothing of the thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of cases of blindness and neurological disease caused by methyl alcohol. And we could talk about two carbons versus one, but, you know, you guys aren't interested in that. <laughs> they even said, this guy, Edward Baird, in his book, Prohibition, 13 Years of Changed America, he said, in a, one small Kansas county, there were over 15,000 victims of adulterated liquor. A small Kansas county with 15, well, they must have counted them all 10 times. <laughs> hey, my town I was raised in was only 1,800. And that was, you know, counting the people in jail or something. I don't know. <laughs> okay, all this time that this is going on, how are we doing? How many minutes have I used for? All right, cool. I'm hanging there. Oh, gee, I'm doing great. I'm way ahead of my time. All this time that this was going on, did you guys know from the beginnings of the formation of this area, the geological formation, from the time the lava flow made north and south Table Mountains, they were all one mountain then, there was an odorless, colorless, radioactive, noxious, killing gas seeping out of the ground. Did you know that? Radon. Radon. And guess why they built Rocky Flats where they built it? Radon. It was close to uranium mine. Schwarzwalders. You just go over the hill and get you some good trigger material, right? So it was in 2010 that Dr. Mark Johnson, the real director of public health in this county, he sent a letter to the Golden City Council. And he said, over 20,000 people die each year of lung cancer caused by radon. And I've heard numbers as high as 50,000. So if you do a back-of-the-envelope calculation, and I like to do those because I'm an epidemiologist. I've had five statistic courses. Five. can't remember Jack except p-values. Anyhow, that equates to 400 deaths annually in Colorado, and it's probably around 40 to 50 in Jeffco dying of radon-induced lung cancer. So my message to you, Dendy likes take-homes, get your house tested for radon, you know. Okay, <laughs> test your house. How about this one? CDC reports that 221 people were sickened in a synthetic marijuana poisoning outbreak December 2013. Have you been smoking spice lately or eating any? <laughs> Oh, spice it up. That's bad stuff. Don't use spice. Here's another one. This is really going to knock your socks off. Colorado's whooping cough epidemic continues in force. Over 1,500 cases by November this year. And guess what? I'll quote this to make sure I'm right. Jefferson County had the highest numbers in the state with 202 confirmed cases of whooping cough. Whooping cough? I thought that stuff went out the window, but no, we have whooping cough. So we got to do something about it. We got to do something about it. But is everything I've been talking about, phase two, is everything I've been talking about the gospel? How do you know if the media or some of these things we get off of AP or UPI or whatever those uh, outfits are, or my favorite station, PBS or CPR, uh, how do we know they're any good? How do we know things are really this bad? Well, I'd suggest to you that we make decisions about three different ways. We make decisions rationally. Oh, look at these scientists over here. 
They're from the school of mines. They're very rational. They're science-based. They're fact-based. Well, I was trained at the University of North Carolina in epidemiology, and I'm fact-based. But you know what happens? Once in a while, I get fired up mad, and then I get emotional. So I don't really use my science so much because I make emotional decisions. And then I get my values. I think kids should be able to eat. And so I make political decisions. So I'd say that every one of us in here make decisions based on those things, but I'd like to urge you to make decisions about health as scientifically as you can and as rationally as you can. So first thing I want you to do when you see an article or something, if they have bar charts, if they have graphs, don't read the article, look at those. You know what makes me mad in the business page? When they put the dap, thank you, what, yeah. When, the, when they put the, when they, hi Don, they put that Dow Jones up there and all they show me is that top part. If it drops 100 points, it looks like it fell off the cliff. They forgot the part of the, the graph that goes from zero to 13,000. Oh, a terrible thing happened. Well, they do the same thing in some studies about health. So look at the, look at the numbers and look at the graphs. But here's what we study in epidemiology to determine whether something really causes something, okay? Let's call them the rules of causation versus association. Rules of causation versus, so first thing you ought to think about, is it biologically plausible? Does it make sense? Does it make any sense that this could cause something? This agent would cause a disease. Second. I like this word, temporality. Don't you like it? That's about time relationships. The thing that's supposed to cause the disease, you should have been exposed to it before you got the disease. But that doesn't keep people from talking that way. So is it possible? Is it biological plausibly? If possible? Or did the exposure take place before the disease? And then there's this thing called relative risk. I really like relative risk. You'll see in the paper they say, the incidence of this disease was 75% higher than we had observed before. That means 75%, I mean, if it's one, it's 175. If it's 100%, it's 175 now. And that means the people weren't exposed compared to the people who were exposed. But is that information enough to make a decision on its own? Absolutely not, because there's a uh, causality thing called, I'm at 10 minutes? I'm going for 20. I got 10, give me 20. I got 10, give me 20, not 25. I got, oh, oh I'm, I'm, I'm a talker, not a speaker. Okay. We're going to talk about attributable risk. So if somebody says you, 10 times more likely to die from Agent X versus if you weren't exposed to it, you may go, oh. But the question is, what is attributable to that? And if I told you that one in a million cases, one in a million cases, we're in the normal, and you're exposed, it was 10 in a million cases, maybe you'd take the risk of 9 per million. That's called a trivial risk. Now i got to rock and roll. There's specificity. That means you get sucked in asbestos, you get mesothelioma. That's the only disease, that, I mean, only agent that causes mesothelioma. It's very specific to that. Then there's a dose response. A little bit of something, dose response. A little bit of something won't hurt you, but a lot will. I know jokes about that, and I can't tell them. <laughs> and then there's animal studies. If, they, if you see it in animals, it's a good idea. And then there's this thing called preponderance of evidence. 
the preponderance of evidence says that smoking causes lung cancer. If you took all the studies on smoking and lung cancer and tried to put them in this room, we'd be standing out there. That's the preponderance of evidence. Enough of this uh, causation stuff. So next, we've got to look at the killers over time. What has been killing people in the United States over time? Let's go back to 1900 real quick. Should we do the top four or top three? Four. Number four, heart disease in 1900. Number three, gastrointestinal disease. Isn't that the shits? Uh, <laughs> tuberculosis. And the number one killer in 1900 was influenza and pneumonia. Okay, let's walk forward to 1950. Times are changing. Thank you, Bob Dylan. Number four, diseases of early infancy was a big killer. Terrible. Kids are dying. Babies. Number two, three, cerebrovascular diseases like stroke and things like that. Number two, cancer. And number one, heart disease. Now we're going to spring forward one more time to 2010. Now, the number four was cerebrovascular diseases like stroke. Number three is chronic airway disease like COPD. You know, the elephant sitting on your chest during the news. Oh, it's terrible. It's so sad. And then, I'm not supposed to be cynical, am I? Okay. That number two is cancer, and number one is heart disease. But guess what? Is heart disease higher per thousand, per hundred thousand today than it was in 1950? No. Heart disease peaked in 1950 and 60 as a major killer has been going downhill since. Okay, another question. Is cancer higher per 100,000? That's a rate. 100,000 now than it was in 1990? No, it's going down. Let's take, for instance, tuberculosis over time. Way before we started using antibiotics to treat tuberculosis, it was going down. Something goes on out there with these trends. Something goes on. So, those are funny little things. Those are funny little things, and they're fun. <laughs> those are the diseases that kill people and disable people and, and really kill them and all that stuff. But what's really the actual causes of death? We, huh? Sin. Sin, sin, sin. Oh, it's gin, gin, gin makes you want to sin on the lawn, on the five kappa theta, big front lawn. That's my fraternity. Okay. Okay, here we go. There are two and a half million people die every year in the United States. Okay? Two and a half million. How many? We know what kills a little over half of them specifically because of epidemiology, the study upon the people. And over 500,000 people die each year of caused by obesity. It's not heart attack that killed them. It's obesity. It's obesity that killed them. Another over half a million people died because of tobacco. So we got we got a million plus there. And then we'll just throw in a couple of chump change wounds. A hundred thousand people die each year because of excess alcohol. Not the moderate drinking that you and I do. Sometimes I have to go drive for a week, so, I won't be, so I'll be moderate, you know. I'll make you a margarita. Oh, that's another story. I'll have to crawl back home and talk about it. And 100,000 more due to microbial diseases. And 
flu is about 40,000 of those. So we've talked about disease, death, and disability, and we've talked about the actual causes of death cause those, or the actual causes of death. So what can we do about it? Well, I'd suggest that if we studied the models of disease, we studied the models, then we'd know how to intervene. I got five, I got made. We'd study those models and intervene. There's two models. How many? Two. Two. At least I say so, so what the hell? I'm in charge of that. The first one is the classic epidemiological model. And that model says you have to have a host. It's a triangular model. Is a, tri is a triangle real strong form? Any engineers here? It's one of the strongest forms. It's a triangle. You have a host, you have an agent, and you have an environment. And these three factors, these three parts of the disease model, the host, agent, and environment model, if they hang together, they're strong, and they cause disease. Well, what would happen if we messed up the relationship between the host and the agent, or the host and the environment, or the agent and the environment? So let's think about it. A host. You know what a host is? Somebody to get sick. And then there's an agent. Something to make them sick. And so there are physical agents, there are biological agents, and there's chemical agents. That's what make people sick. So what we got to do is mess with the host, agent, environment triangle. So let's take the, the host, for instance. Well, if the host didn't go where the agent was or go into the environment where the agent was, you could break one of those relationships. So that's what it's all about. Don't go and work with asbestos and suck in the, uh, the asbestos and get mesothelioma. You know, Don't go in the basement and sit and watch TV all the time if you haven't had been tested for radon. So you've got to avoid the environments where the agents are. Does that, does that help? Okay. We can, we can do that. But now is the time that I get to talk about my favorite, my very, 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 very favorite model of disease, and it's called the chain of infection. Can we all say it together, brothers and sisters? The chain of infection. In order to, the thing about a chain is it's only as strong, my mama said, as its weakest Okay, we have three links in this chain of infection. The first link is the source. The second link is the transmission. The third link is the susceptible host. So let's just take them one at a time. What's the source of microbial disease? Well, let's first talk about microbes. What are they? They're bacteria. They're viruses. There's a fungus among us. Uh, there's prions. I know a lot now. I was talking about prions, you know, the folded. Oh, yeah. Anyhow, and there's also parasites. And parasites, they're not small. They're multicellular, but they can cause a problem, too. So, you know, even mosquitoes cause us a problem. So those are those microbial-related agents that can cause disease. And they have to come from a source and be transmitted and go to a susceptible host. So what are the real sources of disease? I say there are three. They're, they are man, animal, and where man and animal have been. 
Now, you may not believe me, but that's real simple, and you won't forget it. Man, animal, and where man and animal have been. So, if that's true, we should avoid people. <laughs> or we should avoid animals. Or maybe we shouldn't lay in the feedlot. But, if you stop and think about it, Bart didn't want me to get over close to him. And really, if you get if you get three feet away from somebody, you're probably all right. Okay, well, hi, little black and white creature there. You came over here from Adams County or maybe it's Rappole County. Rabbit skunk. Now, do you think I'll go over and French kiss that rabbit skunk? No. If you see a skunk in daytime, leave it alone. It's rabbit. You know, they don't come out in daytime. And so, I'll tell you one more hint on the source and how to break that chain. Don't go to the hospital. You know who goes to the hospital? Sick people. Get the hell out of there as quick as you can. Do outpatient surgery. Okay, so that's the source. We busted that link. How about susceptible host? Okay. Okay. Should we do it to Frank? I'm going to take this big, big old jug of clostridium tetani. I got it right here. Laha, Clostridium tetani. Is he going to get tetanus? Yes. No. He's vaccinated against tetanus. He's not a susceptible host. He's protected. So the best thing you can do to be non-susceptible is to be vaccinated. It's the cheapest, best prevention there is. And it's also good to have skin because things don't have to go through it. It's also good that you sneeze and get rid of things. And it's also sometimes good to have diarrhea and get rid of them. Yeah. And sometimes it's really good to do other things. So, that is the susceptible host story. I'm skipping a few things. Now we get to my favorite, favorite part, the transmission part. And you have to have it transmitted. You know why? Does anybody know why? You've got to have it transmitted, how it gets to the, from the source to the susceptible host. It's because GDJ. Say it. GDJ. GDJ. And that stands for? Germs don't jump. Germs don't jump. They're only transmitted by this orderly chain of vents. So what are these transmission factors? They're my favorites because they all begin with the letter F, and I call them the big, the big Fs. See, I told you I was going to talk about the big Fs. And the first of the big F, fingers. Fingers. And then there's food, and there's feces, and there's fluids, and there's flying things, and there's... Fooling around, fooling around, yeah. So, what can we do about the big Fs? Fingers. What do fingers touch? Fingers change diapers. Fingers go to the bathroom. Fingers touch raw meat. Those are all dirty. What did Mama say about your fingers? Wash them. Wash them. We can stop finger-transmitted disease by washing our fingers. And then there's food. The food we eat is either okay or it isn't okay. This is simple. It's either okay or isn't okay. Take fruits and vegetables. They're either okay or they're not okay. If they're not okay, let's wash them and make them okay. And then they're okay. Let's talk about, let's talk about meats and stuff. They're probably not okay. They probably have some caca on them. 
So what we do is we cook them. And then they're okay, but we could contaminate them again. So after you cook food, you keep hot foods hot and cold foods cold and never in between. That way you can have safe food. And then there's feces. You want your feces to go down the drain like Drano and then go over to an environmentally engineer's place where they mix it with high-strength waste from Coors, and they blah, 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 and then we affluent it to the, uh, to the Clear Creek, and they're very happy because we've made up some water there. So feces, you want to keep them out of things. You don't want feces in your food or on your fingers or even your fluid. Now, there's a bunch of kinds of fluids. There's fluids that go into our body. And there's fluids that go out of our body. So if there's an opening in your body someplace, a fluid can go out of it. So you want to make sure you take and drink safe fluids. Now, what can you drink no matter where you've been in the world? And I've been all over the world. What can you drink? Oh, yes. Beer, beer, beer. Makes you want to cheer on the lawn. That was gin. Okay, gin made you want to say beer. Any place in the world. They may add a little formaldehyde to it to keep stuff back. Oh. Bad headaches, but beer's always safe. Don't drink that damn bottle of water. It's the biggest rip-off. Can you imagine paying two bucks for a bottle of water, three bucks, four bucks, five bucks? Anybody here drink bottled water, like Perrier or something like that? Oh, she's wanting not paying attention to me. That's okay. Fluids. Fluids. Drink beer. And then there's flying things. You know, you don't want to get bit by mosquitoes. Got a minute left, maybe? This is about it, anyhow. There's flying things, you know, we want to kill those mosquitoes and avoid the ticks and the fleas. And then there's fooling around. And, you know, I got a rap song. If I drink two more beers, I'll give it to you about safe sex. Len doesn't want me to do it, but I'm really good at it. And and, uh, safe sex is not safe. It's safer sex is a little safer. And my little line is it really does help to wash up and pee. So tonight... Tonight, we've talked about a bunch of things. We've talked about... <laughs> I'll, do, I'll, do my, I'll do my rap, Luann, she'll, she'll forgive me. Anyhow, tonight we've talked about a bunch of things, because we're going to have questions later. We've talked about, you know, stories about gold in an area here in Colorado. We've talked about uh, things that... Uh, how you should read articles. We've talked about things that kill people. We've talked about the actual causes of death, and we got into what really we can do about them and understand the big Fs. So this has been a hoot. I hope you learned something. I did. (laughs) Thank you very much, Jim. So we'll do a 10-minute break where you can get dessert and then uh, come back and have Q&A for about 20 minutes. So think of some interesting questions, and he'll have fun answering them. Thank you. We are in a coffee house, right? Well, in a coffee house, you should read poetry. So here is a poetry book my wife lovely gave me. It's called Verses from 1929 on, Ogden Nash. A poem, a poem called The Germ. The Germ. germ. Are you ready? This is from Ogden Nash, the famous. Are you ready? The Germ. A mighty creature is the germ, though much smaller than a pachyderm. 
his customary dwelling place is deep within the human race. His childish pride he often pleases by giving people strange diseases. Do you, my poppet, feel infirmed? You probably contain a germ. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Question for you. All right. Can you repeat the questions? I will repeat the questions. I will repeat the questions. Can you repeat the questions? The question was, can I repeat the question? So you talked about the, the Fs. Were there five or something? One of them was fecal. There's six. How many Fs? Six. Six Fs. What's this thing I've heard about fecal transplants? There's a difference between feces, and fecal transplants. When you go to a hospital and you're given antibiotic and rips out all your normal flora, normal flora is what we have. We have ten times as many, we have ten times as many germ cells on our body and in our body than we have human cells. When you put poison on them, read antibiotics, you kill them off. So we try to do things about it. It really causes a disease called Clostridium difficile. And it kills a bunch of people. So we're saying, how can we stop that? And they give them antibiotics to kill the Clostridium difficile and all these things. But the, one of the directions we're going, they say, well, if you just gave them some yogurt and stuff, it'd help. But they found out that if you go to relatives or somebody that's close to you, and you get, you go up through the anus with a, a scope, and you harvest some feces and reimplant that in somebody near to you, Guess what? Your normal flora comes back, and there's been hundreds of these. And some of the best research going on in Bionome is right up at Boulder. They've got a real incubator of studying the Bionome versus the genome, the what's going on in the bodies. Thank you for the question. Thank you. Yes, Cindy Nasky, my wonderful next-door neighbor. The question was, could I speak to the whole issue of overuse of antibacterial soaps? Let's take and get down to the bottom line. Here's how you wash your hands. You use friction. Friction to remove the dirt, the germs. You can do it with cold water, overseas. There's places where you don't have water even, so you get sand. And you take that friction and you clean your hands. What we've done is we're putting poison on our hands. I mean dial and hex and all this stuff. It is taking and pushing the bubble on bacteria and changing these bacteria and making them resistant to the, the, the active component in those uh, soaps. And the same things happen with kids. If we did so damn clean around them, they don't get exposed. We were talking, you know, the kids, if you drop the kid's pacifier, pick the thing up, Lick it off and give it back to the kid. It's just your germs. They got your germ. May you're kissing the little cutest thing in the world. So exposure is not bad, but if we want to get rid of germs on our hands or on our bodies, this plain old soap and, or friction and water is just great. Does that answer your question? Yes, thank you. You betcha. Yes, sir.
So he asked a number of questions. One is about diversity and how it's affecting diseases in the United States, and then about people that come from someplace and come here. So I got a couple people over here, live across the street from me, and they came from someplace. They came from Morocco, and now they're undergoing a whole transformation of the bacteria in their bodies. So what happens is really some of the pe when the people move to the United States, they start getting all the diseases Americans get. There's been bunches of studies like from Asia maybe to the Hawaiian Islands to the United States and lower heart disease rates in Japan, a little more in Hawaii and higher here. And if you move them right here, those people eat our diets, they do our way of life and it changes. Why do we see these, these changes over time? We just know they're trends. You gotta die of something. So if you take and you treat people's hypertension, you treat their cholesterol, you make them thin, we're all gonna die. So we're gonna die of something. But what happens over time is some of these things, maybe the, the survival of the fittest, maybe some of the people are dying that had it, and so the people are still alive don't have it. So I don't know that it's, uh, it's our diversity or our gene pool, but things do change like that in all countries. And the biggest killer in the world is diarrhea and schistosomiasis and malaria. Other questions? Don. We got three questions there. First was, do I think that children should, that parents should be able to opt out for their children to be vaccinated? And I go, yes, but you just can't go to school. They can't go to school. And it can't be around other kids because what we're doing, the reason we have a whooping cough epidemic is partially because people think that vaccines are causing their kids to get something or causing kids to get something. So they're riding the backs. You want my opinion, I'm giving it to you. They're riding the backs of those parents whose children are being vaccinated. There's been study after study looking at the impact of vaccines, the thimerosal preservative in vaccines and whether or not it causes problems. And they can't associate that with problems, study after study. So there's my two cents worth. I think you ought to get all the vaccinations. Your body can handle the insults. The body's been doing it for years. Second, HPV. I think both girls and boys should get HPV vaccine. Why? We, we want to prevent cervical cancer and other diseases that are caused by these organisms. It doesn't mean that we as parents shouldn't, should encourage our children to be promiscuous. But I was young once and I didn't do what my folks always said I should do. So I think we should take and vaccinate kids against that. And then there's the end of life. What should we do? We know the last six months of life are the most expensive six months for health care costs. I think it's important to die with dignity. I think number one thing we do is the hospice should be a highly valued place. You don't get addicted to narcotics in your last six months of life. My dad was in pain, and I couldn't get the doc, and I couldn't get the, the narcotics for him, and he's laying there dying of kidney cancer at 93, which is, dad had a great life. But we should let people die at home if they can, or hospice them, and not spend the big bucks. Now, you want a real personal opinion? Why in the heck would somebody keep poor Eris shown alive for 10 years laying there? I say that we let them glow slowly. I don't care what your religion is. You look at the roots of it and talk to people. It's ethical to let people die. We're all going to die sometime. 
we should take and try to prevent death, but we should let people die with dignity, not push them over the cliff. I'm not a euthanasia guy. You bet. Other questions? Yes. Well, the bottom line is one of the biggest problems for people of my age and older, but I look in the pa- I'm 70, and I look in the paper, a lot of people in their 60s are dying. But the biggest injury of older people are falls. The injuries are falls. And so one of the things we can do for us seniors and make sure we don't have junk around our house we'd trip over. Oh, my gosh. Luann, we're in deep camp shape. <laughs> Luckily, Luann and I have been tripping a lot our whole lives, and therefore we're – but it's trips and falls, and you get broken hips, and then the, the spiral goes down because our bones do that thing. So, you know, we get the what, – what's the name of the awards they give her every year for du- – the Darwin Awards. Yeah, I mean, just read those, and you'll go, holy – I didn't know it's a damn smart. I mean, some of these <laughs> – so I, I think we can do a lot for seniors by making uh, – and i tell you what. I don't jump off – I used to be I wouldn't even worry about getting on this chair and jumping off. Now I kind of get down there. And when I when – I, when I, get, get down, get down. Uh, anyhow, when I ski, I still ski. I love it. But I ski intermediate slopes. I'm not skiing the bumps or the black diamonds anymore. If I fall, I'm going to fall on my butt. And I'm not going to ski real close to the trees, but a little bit. That's good snow on the edge. Does that, does that answer your question? Yes. Okay, other questions? Other questions? I could do my rap. Would you shoot me if I did my rap? <laughs> All right. Look, I haven't done this since... Yes. Amen, brother. I'll do the safe sex rap. <laughs> I, I invented this rap in 1985, 6, for a dining out. No, it's a dining in because there, there weren't any uh, spouses there. So this was, I was, I finally made lieutenant colonel by that time. And I got involved in this dining out, and we wear our mess dresses, and we're looking real good. We're looking so sharp. A mess, a mess dress, that's called, I got one downstairs still. I can fit in it, too. Anyhow, I came out in my white coat with a, with a beard, and I says, I am Dr. Coop, as you can plainly see, and I have a story that I want to tell thee. Are you ready? AIDS, 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 AIDS. Well, AIDS spells AIDS is dangerous, stud, so don't fall in lust at your first ride's bud. Yeah, AIDS, AIDS, AIDS has got to go. It seems some folks got to learn to say no. But if you're going to do it, just remember the danger and don't go and do it with just any old stranger. And if you're going to do it, don't you blabber or a blubber? Just make sure you use a damn good rubber. Don't be blind, can't you see? It really does help to wash up and pee. I said AIDS, AIDS, safer sex AIDS. Good night, everybody. Thank you very much.